Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hi guys, thank you so much for joining me. A brand new collection we've got starting today, which I have entitled The Crown in honor of the series for any of you who watch Netflix. And yes, it is one of my favorite series on Netflix. Uh, We're going to dive deep into everything to do with the queen, the monarchy. um, And I would absolutely encourage everybody to listen, even if you think you don't know much or don't have much interest in the queen or the monarchy, uh, because what I've got to say actually um, will continue to affect all of us. So I would encourage you to listen. Uh, It's jam-packed episodes, but where I want to start today is around the whole controversy of the Queen's death. And I have no doubt that you guys have been watching it or it's been popping up on your notifications, uh, all of the different opinions surrounding this. So let's go back. September 8, a couple of weeks ago, Queen Elizabeth died peacefully at her home, by the way, in Scotland at the age of 96. She died in Balmoral Castle, uh, not in Buckingham Palace in London. Now, her death has been surrounded in controversy and opinion, which we will really dive into today, uh, as well as over the next few episodes of this collection. Now, like I said, even if you do not care about the Queen or you don't know much about the Queen, or uh, maybe you don't really have many opinions about this or the monarchy, you really won't want to miss these episodes, guys, because there is a lot more going on than meets the eye. I thought where we'd start, though, is a little explanation about the monarchy, just to give you some background in case you didn't know. Brush up on our history here, guys. Um, But as you'd most likely know, the Queen represents the head of the monarchy. Now, there are 14 countries that have the Queen as its monarch, including, uh, well, as well as the UK. And these are all known as the Commonwealth, okay? So Australia is part of the Commonwealth. That's why we are known as the a commonwealth country we are a constitutional monarchy with the queen as our sovereign so all that means is while the queen is not part of the day-to-day running of our country she still plays important ceremonial and symbolic roles now this is also why we have a government system known as the westminster government system in case you didn't know And we have a prime minister, same as the UK, as opposed to a president like the US. Our flag also resembles the British flag. Now, there has been discussion for years that maybe Australia should break away from being part of the Commonwealth. And the option then would us for us, the option would be for us to become a republic. Now, the current prime minister, Albanese, and the Greens leader are actually in favor of us becoming a republic, which is really interesting. And Albanese has actually said that he would hold a referendum for Australians to vote on if he were to stay for a second term. So he would take that to the Australian people, just like they did a few years ago with the same sex marriage. So becoming a republic would mean some amendments to our constitution. It would remain it would mean that we would replace the queen and the governor general with a president who would be voted in with two-thirds of the majority. Or another option would be 
um, to keep the Westminster system of parliament and to keep a prime minister elected by the public majority. But we would need to change a few things. Um, we wouldn't change our name. We'd still be known as the Commonwealth of Australia. It's just that the Queen would no longer be our head. And of course, we would have to change things like our notes and our coins, which currently have the Queen's face, but we're having to do that right now. Anyway, did you know that, guys? All of the notes and the coins will have to slowly go out of circulation with the Queen on them. But just a few weeks ago, or no, a week or so ago, actually, after the Queen's death, there was a survey conducted uh, of a lot of Australian people asking them this question, if they would like to, to change from being um, under the monarchy to being a republic. And it turns out, guys, that most Australians at this stage actually just want us to stay as we are. So let's look at the response to her death. First of all, the response has been absolutely extreme. On the one hand, there are many who, of course, see her death as the end to an era. Uh, she is very loved by some and very respected, and her passing will be mourned and her life and her service absolutely celebrated. But on the other hand, there are those who have showed a complete lack of respect, actually delighting in her passing. So what is this all about? Some see the queen and the whole monarchy as a racist elite empire whose colonization of many parts of the world have actually been a shocking part of history and bringing great harm. Now, in case you haven't heard the word colonization, you're going to hear me say it a lot today. It's also interchangeable with the word colonialism. All that means is the process of settling among and establishing control over the indigenous peer, uh, people of an area. Okay, so it's control by one power. Um, and it's the power of one people over another. So in our case, guys, it just simply means what happened when Australia was settled a few hundred years ago, that the British Empire came, colonized Australia. They settled here, as you would know from your history books, mostly with convicts as well as free settlers from England. Guys, do you want a little tidbit of funny information? Uh, I'm from South Australia originally, but I live in Queensland. Now, when I first moved here and even now, I had a lot of people ask me where I'm from because of my accent and I couldn't work it out for a while. I'm like, what do you mean my accent? I'm Australian, especially the kids at school. They're like, where are you from, Mrs. Bennett? And then I realized, okay, people in South Australia, kudos guys, we do talk a little bit differently and there's a reason. Do you want to know the reason? Take this to your next party, guys. A little bit of knowledge here. Because South Australia was the only state colonized by free settlers, right? So all the other states were actually colonized mostly by convicts. So South Australia was colonized by the free settlers. They were obviously um, better educated, um, you know, more of the, the richer, elitist parts of the society. And so apparently that is why we speak more clearly, not clearly, we speak more of the Queen's English. Okay. So there you go. Pat yourselves on the back, South Australia. Anyway, on to what we're meant to be talking about today. So, uh, look, we're in a time 
of increasing awareness of imbalances of power, right? Like whether that be imbalances because of gender or skin color or, you know, economic wealth and resources. And so because of this, the queen and the monarchy have come under a lot of scrutiny, especially when Meghan Markle, who married Prince Harry, uh, when they left the royal family and they left London and they moved to America. And then she, Meghan Markle, went on to call uh, the monarchy family racist, the royal family racist, etc. So there's obviously been a lot of scrutiny on the royal family. And look, they do look like the epitome of white privilege, completely out of touch with everyday citizens, let alone marginalized people sitting behind their guarded gates, living in their castles, being weighted on hand and foot. It really kind of is the stuff of movies. So look, I think most of the people that I've spoken with and most of you guys here are a little bit confused. And I've had a few of you message me and go, are you going to talk about this? Because I don't know what to think. I'm so confused about it all. And so I hope that I can bring a little bit of clarity for you today about where different people are coming from. Um, You know, we've grown up loving the queen and the monarchy and showing them great respect. While on the other hand, I know that a lot of us can also see that there's some merit to the fact that they do appear to be, or they are a very elite, uh, rich and wealthy um, group of people with a lot of privilege because simply of the family that they're born into. So what's the right thing to do? Do we mourn? Do we mock? What do we do? Can I just talk about for a minute though, those who have been very critical Um those who have actually mocked the passing of the queen, it's actually been really nasty. Uh, And even though maybe some of their points might be valid, the way it's been delivered has not been great. In fact, I think the comments have actually been quite disgusting and I think it's unacceptable no matter what your opinion might be. Like you can question the place of the monarchy, right, in today's society without actually making unacceptable comments like being glad that she is dead or accusatory comments like you won't commemorate the passing of an elite racist empire, which I'm going to go to in just a minute, which yes, one of our senators here in Australia actually said that. So let me just give you three quick thoughts on anyone that's criticized the queen's passing in the last week or so. Number one, guys, there is a time and a place for conversation and debate. Okay. And now is not the right time. Like right after she has died to bring up certain conversations, like have a little bit of class. People should be showing some restraint and respect. And at the end of the day, she's still also a human being with children and grandchildren who love her dearly and who are mourning her passing. So time and place, guys. Number two, I really do question why there are people picking now to bring up these things, especially since these are people that have never talked about it before. You know, if they were really concerned, they would have already been discussing these things. Um, But it seems to me that what's going on is, you know, people become mini activists around whatever is the flavor of the moment. I was talking about this with my academy crew this week. They were asking me, what's happening in Ukraine? And, um, you know, we were discussing how when it was first going on, everyone was posting and tweeting and hashtagging and putting up the Ukraine flag as their profile pic. And yet the war's still going on. And so I said to the students, well, why aren't 
people doing these things now? Why, why aren't you guys still posting and commenting? And they actually were like, Renee, it's not that we don't care. And then they are, they fell silent because they realized they had no answer. And it really did dawn on them that they're allowing themselves to be led by the media who determine the latest issue to flex their activist muscles on. So I think we have to be careful of that. Like, you know, is this something we've cared about before? And if not, why are we making comments now? And thirdly, for those that have criticized I would say that um, it's really surprising, or it shouldn't be surprising by now, but it's disappointing that there are awful comments allowed to stay on social media platforms while other truth-telling conservative comments and people are banned. Let me give you an example. This week, there was a critical race theorist from a university in the US, and she put out this awful tweet, and I quote, I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating, end of quote. What a downright disgusting tweet to put out. Now, she took it down. Not be, It wasn't banned. It wasn't taken down. She got a lot of blowback, so she took it down. But meanwhile, people like Jordan Peterson are deplatformed or comments like men are men, men and women are women, you know, actual biological comments like that are taken down. So they're my three thoughts um, about anyone that was, that was critical uh, this week around the Queen's death. But let's continue by doing a deep dive today into colonialism or the colonization of Australia, because this right here is the reason that many are saying they will not mourn the death of the Queen, because they see her as representing a monarchy that's done great harm through the British colonization of Australia. And so let's have a look at, you know, is there merit to their arguments? So two two weeks ago, just after the Queen died, an Australian Green Senator, Marine, for, oh, forgive me if I say her name wrong, but Faraqui, tweeted just hours after the Queen's passing that she can't, and I quote, mourn the leader of a racist empire built on stolen lives, land, and wealth of colonized people. And then she said, condolences to those who knew the Queen. Again, what a, what a unkind, disrespectful, horrible tweet to be putting out, no matter what you think. Anyway, she was slammed for this right around Australia, and rightfully so. Like I said, no matter your, your view, there's a time and a place, and that is quite appalling. Now, her comments were maybe appealing to 10% of the people who vote for the Greens, but they're always going to be toxic to the mainstream. And I just, you know, question, where has common decency and courtesy gone? Now, the chairman of the Australian Monarchist League, Eric Abetz, he also said that her comments actually fly in the face of objective evidence. So that's an interesting point that he made that, um, you know, what she actually said was not true. So what is this senator talking about? Because this view is, again, like I've talked about many episodes, it's from the left. And to be honest, I think the majority of Australians and people beyond are sick and tired of the constant criticism and the pulling apart of every single part of our society. And the views on colonization range from, you know, it being a terrible part of our history right through to it being a necessary good. But of course, anything that we see in mainstream media always seems to support the narrative of the left, which is that colonization is terribly harmful. 
our education also supports this view. So it's really confusing to a lot of us because we're not quite sure what to think. So after the First World War, let's go back a bit and talk about colonization. After the First World War, the UK by then had colonies on every continent except Antarctica, and they literally ruled one in five people around the world. So they did have a lot of power. Now, it was done often using uh, violence towards the indigenous people of a land. Um, It included displacing them, taking over ownership of their land, and they extracted incredible wealth over the centuries from these lands. There is, however, no evidence that any of this systemic violence and cover-up was linked to Queen Elizabeth. But this doesn't change the fact that the initial colonizing of the land um, definitely had some um, harmful narratives um, involved uh, historically. So let's have a look at that and let's be really honest. Um, Colonization disrupted Aboriginal people's way of life, especially their culture. And if anyone wants links to any of the stuff, uh, any of my research, you know, feel free to reach out. Now, Aboriginal people used to closely manage their land and they knew exactly what to do to get the most out of it. They often used what was known as fire stick farming. Honestly, I think today's politicians and government should be asking the Aboriginal people how this used to work because they really did know our land and our climate here in Australia. So that involved regular regular firing the land to enhance grain production and to produce beautiful deep soft soil. They also knew how to dry and store grain for surplus and this was just like in one simple area. They used to burn off small areas and leave large parts of vegetation for animals because they held animals and, you know, they loved animals and always provided for them. And they knew what to burn and what not to encourage regrowth. They knew the land and they still know the land better than anyone. But then the European settlers came and they brought with them their ways and their livestock. And as a result, even things such as the Aboriginal diet also changed. Now, the European settlers brought an epidemic of diseases with them that resulted in immediate loss of life to the many Indigenous people who had never been exposed to those before, one of them being smallpox. Now, the Aboriginals' resistance to the British takeover also resulted in brutal massacres of both the Indigenous and the settlers. Then between 1910 and 1970, many children were taken from their families and were assimilated into non-Indigenous homes or places in state care. And this um, is historically known as the Stolen Generation. Now, guys, can I, like, it's horrible that I have to say, can I be controversial for a moment, but can I just add a little bit of perspective? Because, you know, as awful as all of those things do sound, could there perhaps also be another side to the story? So apparently there, yes, there were brutal killings when colonization took place. But before that, every other continent also had a time of intertribal wars. So do you think that there was always peace between clans and tribes here in Australia? Or do you think that perhaps there was also violence between the tribes and the clans, just like in every other place around the world? People want to blame colonization and the deprivation of basic human rights for the violence that we see now in Indigenous communities. 
They want to link Aboriginal culture of family violence to the grave harm inflicted on them through colonisation. But there are actually many researchers who say that policymakers are not being honest and that until they are honest in their assessment of the causes of the culture of violence in Aboriginal communities, that Aboriginal people can never be truly liberated. There are Indigenous people such as Bess Nangarahi, Nangarahi Price, who says that we can fix ourselves if we stop blaming all of our problems on white man. So just to expand a little bit on that, there's a paleopathologist named Stephen Webb, and he analyzed four and a half thousand individual bones from mainland Australia going back 50,000 years ago, so way before colonization. And he found that there was a highly disproportionate rate of injuries and fractures to women's skulls, suggesting that injuries um, were made by deliberate attacks and often attacks from behind. So, you know, there's obviously quite a bit of research and evidence to suggest that there was a lot of violence pre-colonization. Now, also, um, you know, just to give some perspective, even with, say, the, the stolen generation. So again, I am not minimizing the harm that happened. You know, children who were taken and displaced, a lot of them had horrific experiences and they were put in, um, you know, terrible families, foster families. But at the same time, I've got personally, I've got a very close friend whose Nana was one of those Indigenous children. And she grew up, she says, in the most beautiful home, became a Christian, had a wonderful life, and now has a a beautiful legacy of children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, all of who are thriving. And she has seen her life in a completely different light, saying that um, she's got nothing but gratefulness. Now, I say all this to, to make my point. This is my point, guys. Why does something have to be all bad or all good? Like, can't we be honest and have an honest debate and discussion? Can't we consider both things? Because there are very few things in life that are all bad or that are all good. And I think colonialism has got great downsides and it's also got great upsides. I think it, yes, has done harm, but can we acknowledge that it's also done much good? Now, there are some indigenous people who actually do not like this whole blaming of colonization because they say that it continues to make them a victim when what they would rather do is take responsibility for their life. And that's what they're doing. And they're making something wonderful of their life. So what about some of the good that colonization has brought about? Colonial powers have introduced other forms of education. Yes, the Indigenous had their own ways of educating, but also can we not acknowledge that Western education has advanced the world in unarguable ways? It's brought healthcare. Um, now, I'm not talking about some of today's healthcare. I think some of it's been hijacked by money and by greed, but they've brought an incredible amount of good. They've brought healthcare which has lowered infant mortality and prevented diseases. Another point is how colonialism favoured women and they became more protected from assaults. It brought the development of infrastructure and incredible progress. 
it brought food scarcity to a um, to a to a stop and brought food security because no longer were uh, people at the mercy of natural supply. We are the nation that we are today because of colonialism. And one of the greatest ideas that the British Empire brought to our society is the idea of freedom. And we don't fully understand that. And I'm not going to um, expand on that today. I might talk more about that next week. But we've actually got the fact of, you know, that we're free and that we live so free is um, a, a, a British Empire idea. So were there mistakes made in history? Absolutely. But what I'm seeing with the, the full just constant demonizing of, uh, of colonizing a country is actually something you might have heard me mention before. This is critical theory in full flight, and it's a left-wing ideology. So I, I do not want anyone to message me going, you know, you weren't acknowledging the harms done. I have acknowledged the harms done, guys. I um, I fully acknowledge that. But to only focus on that and to not be able to acknowledge some of the good parts, um, that is a very left-wing ideology. Critical theory promotes the idea that individual responsibility does not exist. By the way, this is also very anti-biblical. What critical theory promotes is that we do not exist as individuals, but as groups. And these groups can always be divided into two, the either oppressed or the oppressor. So in regards to colonization, the European settlers are in the left ideology, critical theory, the left, uh, the European settlers are all the oppressors and the, all the indigenous are the oppressed. So all of us who are, are white are the oppressive problem. All of us who are indigenous are the victims. And unless you acknowledge this, according to them, you continue to be part of the problem. So what you might have or not have done as an individual does not count. So going back to the queen, this is why some refuse to honor the queen in her death. This is actually a critical theory perspective. So even if Queen Elizabeth herself was not a part of the harmful aspects of colonialism, which it's been shown that there is no evidence that she is, it doesn't matter. Individual actions and behavior don't matter. She still gets lumped into the oppressor basket just because she represents the monarchy. Even if she did lots of good, doesn't matter. Even if she did nothing wrong, doesn't matter. Critical theory does not allow us to exist as individuals. We only exist as a group. And there are only two groups you can belong to, the oppressed or the oppressor. And that is the way that they're seeing the Queen's um, the queen's passing, that she belongs to the oppressors group, so she is evil. So therefore, we cannot mourn her death and neither should you. Otherwise, you also become a part of the oppressor group. Does that make sense, guys? So not only is this wrong and dysfunctional, it is unbiblical. Yes, we can all strive to do what is best for the greater good of all, and we should always think about that. We must strive to do so according to our personal convictions and responsibilities. But according to critical theory, all of today's problems, guys, are rooted in what happened hundreds of years ago. 
Now, why can't we just acknowledge the wrong that happened hundreds of years ago? And also, why can't we recognize the good parts? And what about forgiveness and restoration? We have said sorry. Reparations are being made. We have acknowledged the devastation that colonization has caused. But critical race, uh, critical theorists want us to be stuck in this cycle of apologies and reparations. They will not allow forgiveness and reconciliation. They talk about it and they talk about it and they talk about it, but they won't actually let it happen. So my question is, how then can true healing take place? Well, it can only take place the way that all healing takes place, with honesty, with forgiveness, with moving toward, with taking personal responsibility, by choosing the better path, giving up the blame game and finding a way to move forward together. Now, I remember a few years ago when Ashton came home from school and they must have been doing some Indigenous study uh, and Australian history. And I remember he said to me, Mum, we've said sorry and we, we learn and we know and we talk, but what else can we do? What do they want? And he was so frustrated. And I wonder this, what are we teaching a generation? Is history not there for us to learn the good, the bad, the ugly and the beautiful? We have an incredible nation. Yes, we have made mistakes getting here and we continue to make amends and rightfully so. But the best thing that we can do is to teach our young people to each take responsibility here on in and to move toward one another, to reconcile, to put aside our differences, to learn from one another and to move forward together for a brighter, better future. But no, what do we have? The Queen dies and we have certain people in our country dividing us again, oppressed and oppressor, casting blame, stirring hate, teaching our young people that we have to hate, teaching them not to forgive and teaching them to hate our country. There is nothing wrong with them knowing our history and like I said, knowing the bad parts as well as the good. So I wanted to um, I wanted to finish off here with a, a uh, an article that came up uh, just a couple of days ago regarding the women's AFL league refusing to take a minute silence in honor of the Queen, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, aren't we meant to be being better people that are forgiving and moving forward? But then when we see young people like the AFL women's uh, you know, thinking that they're so high and mighty, refusing to take a minute silence. What are we teaching a generation? Let me have a read of this article to you. So the AFLW star Daisy Pierce has backed in the league's decision to scrap a minute of silence for Queen Elizabeth II during Indigenous Round. To me, she says, Indigenous Round is a time not just for celebrating colourful jumpers as awesome as they are, and not just for celebrating Indigenous players, but about educating ourselves and concerning ourselves with the facts in this country's history that aren't well told and giving Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, uh, Islander people a platform for telling their stories, she said. What I've learned through going through that process with a number of Indigenous rounds is that for First Nations people, colonialism is not something that's universally celebrated. 
Should we know the history? Yes. Should Indigenous uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have a platform to tell their stories? Absolutely, yes. And at the same time, we can understand that colonialism is not something that is universally celebrated. Yes, we can all understand that too and absolutely agree. But can we also find a way forward together rather than creating more division and more hatred? You know, as a teacher, I watch children playing together in the playground, and it's a beautiful thing. You see children from all sorts of uh, cultures and all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of skin colors, and they just get down in the dirt together, and they play, and they laugh, and they and, and they are friends together, and they make memories, and sometimes they get annoyed with each other, and they fight. They're kids being kids. What happens is we grow up and we politicize everything. And rather than teaching a generation to love and to move towards one another and to forgive and to heal together, they want to instead bring up more reason to to bring division. But do you know what I find the most hypocritical here? I mean, can you not see the glaring hypocrisy here? These women are protesting against the very thing that they are happily being the beneficiary of. These women are a classic case of double standards. Here they are now playing in what used to be deemed a male sport on TV, paid, all well-educated, all with the freedom to have these opinions, by the way, all in the media, all of the things that are given to them by the uh, their nation, by the British Empire. They're not living in a communist country where this is not allowed, are they? So they're literally shooting themselves in the foot. They think that they're so smart when in fact they look spoiled and privileged. And so my final question to all of us is, what is the solution? While we should be educated about our past, should we continue to sow dissension and division into our future? And while we need to hear one another's stories, shouldn't it be so that we can move toward one another in understanding and do better together? See, this is what the left does, is it not? They complain, they rage, they pull apart, they deconstruct. But what they don't do is offer solutions to building back. We need to unify to build back better together. And so I say, veil your majesty and thank you.